If you're struggling to lose weight, you've probably heard about weight loss medications like Wigovi or ZepBound, and you might be wondering if they're right for you. Meet Plush Care, a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. If you qualify, they can safely prescribe you medication from the comfort of your own home. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. And that's why the overwhelming proportion of people who are in prisons are male. Now, do you want to equalize that? Just out of curiosity? That's a really bad faith way to phrase that question. You know, it's like, well, do you want more women represented in prison? Because if the answer is yes, you just want more women to be jailed. And shame on you, bad person. Uh, if this is your first time uh, to understanding economics, uh, I would recommend uh, checking the channel out. They're quite good. They make pretty good videos on a variety of economic issues. Uh, and it's, uh, it's impressive because typically... Uh, the left is accused of having a Hello, massive everybody. blind spot when it comes to economics. And so it was neat to see someone who kind of made a name for themselves calling out the poor economic takes of other lefty creators. Uh, Unlearning Economics, I think, went after ContraPoints first, uh, then went after Abigail. Uh, but from a place of love, clearly, it's a constructive criticism. It's not, uh, you know, you are just a clown shoes lefty who doesn't understand anything. It's usually like, well, I just want to point out that there's some things being missed in amongst the discussion, that kind of stuff. Today. Have I ever done Smash or Pass for right-wingers? No. I don't know if I'd want to play that game. We have played the, um, what is it, the Guilty... What's it called? Guilty. Is it? It's not guilty crush. There's a different problematic, problematic crush. Yeah, we went through problematic crushes once. Everyone, everyone listed theirs. Yeah, every everyone had one, and uh, that was a that was a sad day for the left. I feel like the left, the left kind of kind of died that day. Yeah. We are going to talk about Jordan Peterson. There was way psychologist who. There was way too many golden ones. Uh, way too many Abby Shapiro's. Just one too many, you know. A couple of blackface Justin Trudeau's in the mix there. It was, it was a bad day. Became one of the world's most famous academics on the back of YouTube self-help lectures, which found a large audience among young men. He's released books which explore topics like meaning and how to live your life. I know, I know. There's a lot about Jordan Peterson out there, and there's even a subreddit dedicated to the fact that people talk about him too much. It's also 2022, so arguably I've missed the Peterson boat, but I've not seen a comprehensive response, on YouTube at least, to his characterization of the scientific literature on the subject of gender discrimination. Was that really one of my opening lines? That is very boring. Yeah, it's pretty dull, bro. Peterson has a reputation for absolutely destroying feminist narratives about male economic dominance in his interviews and debates. We're just normal men. What do you mean, normal men? We're just innocent men. But I'm not sure that Peterson has fully... <laughs> gotta say i think there's a massive problem and this is you know goes back to toxic masculinity patriarchy all this kind of shit with dudes being shamed for being emotional i think that's fucking abhorrent you should not shame guys for being emotional being open with their emotions with crying i've watched everything everywhere all at once four times now and i have bald bald for the last 30 minutes of that movie every single time uh, even the the fourth time and i'm like oh well, this time it's not gonna do anything oh my god it's, it's the rocks the rocks there's still uh, the love um so you know I, i'm not here for that it's just it's, a, it's unusual to me that jordan peterson cries 
over anything like not things that you would think would usually denote something that should have an emotional response something that you should feel very passionate from like you can be having a conversation with him and then he could just be talking about how he went to a bar the other day and he's like no oh, and then you know we were listening to some music by this uh, bluegrass musician and then and then he did a riff in d minor d minor i didn't know that chord existed and I feel so bad for all the young men who don't know about that chord. And you're just like, well, yeah, I mean, I guess I, I do appreciate the passion. I'm, I'm very, very happy that, uh, you know, you take this so seriously. But uh, it just seems like an unusual thing to get that worked up about. He grasps the studies he uses to support his arguments. He is more confident in his interpretation of the findings than is justified. I know the literature, and it says exactly what I said it says. Peterson has two main pieces of evidence to support his claim that gender discrimination is not a major factor in women's economic outcomes. First, multivariate analysis of the gender pay gap, where Peterson claims that controlling for things like occupation and personality eliminates the earnings differences between men and women. Two, the so-called gender equality paradox, where Peterson claims that differences between men and women are larger in more gender-equal countries. If you don't know what these things really mean, then sit tight because we're going to go through them in excruciating detail. Cool. Certainly more detail than Peterson, who has a habit of spamming research links after making sweeping claims. In both cases, I want to illustrate two things. Firstly, the evidence cited by Peterson is essentially irrelevant for determining whether or not women face discrimination. Secondly, more rigorous evidence demonstrates that women do, in fact, face discrimination. All right, let's go over this one more time just to make sure I understand the situation. <clears throat> You're a girl. Yes. Oh, gosh darn it, I just don't understand the situation. <clears throat> You're a girl? So, this video will take the following structure. Firstly, critiquing Peterson on multivariate analysis of the gender pay gap, specifically showing that it doesn't speak directly to the question of whether women face discrimination in employment. Secondly, showing that women do face substantial discrimination in employment using quantitative research. Thirdly, critiquing Peterson on the gender equality paradox, again showing that the finding doesn't speak directly to the question of discrimination. Finally, using historical evidence and cross-country comparisons to give a different interpretation of how countries came to be where they are on different aspects of gender equality. I also have some good news. Throughout this video, I'm going to refrain from doing a Jordan Peterson impression. No. It's, it's just so overdone, you know. I'm just, I'm not, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna yeah, do it. Fair I'm enough. Not gonna... Right, start the bloody video. He's totally gonna crack. The gender pay gap has to be one of the most controversial topics on the internet, and is one of the topics that oh, aided Jordan Peterson's yeah. rise to stardom. In his hey, infamous... what up Raiders? Thank you for the raid, Riverboat Jack. Good to see all of you. Welcome to the show. We are just in the middle of watching how Jordan Peterson doesn't understand gender. And I'm sure if you're coming here from Riverboat Jack's stream, you already, you already know, you already know, but I do feel, as a uh, Canadian myself that uh we do have to work hard to undo the unlimited amounts of damage that the good doctor has kind of ravaged upon the world so just every day just you know this is my cross the bear this is just what i choose to do interview with Kathy Newman, the topic is highlighted in the title and takes up a substantial proportion of the interview. The myth of the gender pay gap is a talking point for people adjacent to Peterson, such as Joe Rogan. I got an argument with someone about the wage gap. And yeah. they really believe that men and women work right next to each other doing the same job and the woman is only making 75 cents to the guy's dollar. I'm and like, that's that what we put out there. But this time. is a crazy thing to argue. It is true that there's some miscommunication out there surrounding the 70-ish. Like, bro, if that was the case, why wouldn't you just hire all women and then you could just pay each one of them 75 cents? Just like, bro, logic, bro, right? 
percent figure. Take the TV show Rick and Morty. Then this one is not your slave, and your Earth is yet another planet dominated by men. It's not dominated by us, okay? On Earth, men and women are equals. Equals? We make 70% of your salary for the same job. This is actually untrue, since that figure is not adjusted for the type of job and other variables that may differ between men and women. Like, if you're a social scientist, worth, worth your salt, you never do a univariate analysis. Like, you say, well, women in aggregate are paid less than men. Okay, well, then we break it down by age, we break it down okay. by occupation, we break it down by interest, we break it down by personality. When you make this adjustment, the number is closer to 90%. This is still a lot. I'm sure nobody watching would be happy to endure a 10% long-term pay cut. But it's smaller no. because 70 is less than 90. Hit like and subscribe, everyone. In fact, there are a number of different ways we can look at the gender pay gap. If we restrict it to pay for the same job, it's around 10%. If we restrict it to pay for those in full-time work, it's around 20%. Mm. If we just take the average income of men and women, whether in work or not, it's around 40%. Ooh, that last bad. one may surprise you, but what I'm saying is, take an average man and an average woman in the USA with no knowledge of their employment status, caring responsibilities, or other demographic variables, the woman will have about 60% of the income of the man. All of these statistics matter in different ways. The pay gap for men versus women in the same job makes a direct point about differences in how men and women are treated. By the way, I'm sure he's going to touch on this, but it should be brought up. There is something known as, I believe, it's the it's called the pink belt or something to that effect um, that describes the phenomenon of how a lot of jobs, especially jobs in, uh, you know, what would be considered uh, maybe desirable to people who like working in tech or in film or in music or in, uh, you know, any, any of those categories, video games, coding, stuff like that. A lot of them are boys clubs. A lot of them are just riddled and run by men and they have a very boys club atmosphere blizzard activision uh so one of the problems being is that yes women can get into those positions there's a higher rate of women who are working in those industries than ever before but the other problem being is that it is harder for them to advance to higher levels of uh you know in the hierarchy of those uh job structures as well as the fact that the work environment is simply not as good for women because again it's just filled with men who are reinforcing that kind of old school boys club shit where it's just like yeah check it out these are all the chicks i want to smash in the workplace oh yeah i can't wait to smash them too even when they're doing the exact same work. The pay gap for those in full-time work makes sense because earnings are tied directly to employment. The average pay gap for all men and all women matters because it tells us about the access men and women have to resources. More on this later. One of the mistakes Jordan Peterson and critics of the gender pay gap make is to suppose that only the first statistic is what we care about. On top of this, they frequently imply that the difference is zero even though it isn't. That they're still being dominated and excluded, to quote your words back to you. It does seem that way, but multivariate analysis of the pay gap indicate that it doesn't exist. But that's just so not true, is it? That's I mean, that's nine percent pay gap. That's a gap between median hourly earnings yeah. between men and women. That exists. You can see that Kathy Newman actually got the pay gap for the same work roughly right based on the statistics we've seen, whereas Peterson is wrong. But putting that to one side, the number one point of contention <laughs> I have is on the ten percent versus the twenty percent statistic. It's not uncommon for people to claim the pay disparity simply reflects men and women freely making different choices. To understand this better, let's learn a little bit about the statistical methods behind these findings. When we use causal inference, we want to know the effect one thing has on another. Think about education and wages. We expect that people with more qualifications will earn higher wages, at least on average. Our starting point would probably be to look at the correlation between education and wages, and in most datasets we will indeed find that this is a positive. And by the way, 90% is still fucking like, there's a massive problem there. If you were getting 10% less for the exact same job as a man, yeah, that's a problem that needs to be called out. Trump bragged in the 90s about hiring women in the 80s because they would work two times harder than the men. He could pay them less. Jesus, that's so Trump. Correlation. But this is obviously a crude comparison because there are other things out there that could be driving the correlation. People with more education may come from richer backgrounds and coming from a richer background could also help you in getting a high paying job. People with more education also tend to be more academically able, which may get them a higher wage independently of the education itself. 
socioeconomic status, ability, location, parents. These are all examples of confounding variables, which complicate our simple correlation between education and wages. One solution in statistics is to control for these confounders, which we can do if we have measures of them, as well as our measures of qualifications and earnings. If we can control for confounding variables, we will get an estimate of how much, say, getting a degree will increase earnings for someone Where's in a given hat? location whose parents earned a given amount, who hat. has a given level of ability, and so on. This is the multivariate analysis referenced by Peterson in the interview. Multivariate because it uses multiple variables, like occupation or location. You get it. So far, so good. Just control for everything we can, right? If we want to isolate the effect of education on wages, just throw everything in. Well, there are practical considerations over what we can measure and what methods we use to control for these things can vary, which can affect our conclusions. More importantly for this video, there are some types of variables we simply do not want to control for, and they are creatively called bad controls. Think about the occupation of the person earning. If I were to control for this when estimating the effect of education on earnings, it would greatly reduce that effect. The reason is simple. People with higher levels of education go into different jobs to those with lower levels of education. Getting a better job is one of the main ways education increases your earnings, something people know pretty well. But it would be a mistake to conclude that there is no gain in earnings from education just because the difference disappears when we control for occupation. We have explained the difference, but this is not the same as explaining it away. It's still the case that education increases earnings, we've just found that occupation is the mechanism through which that happens. Now, in case you haven't spotted my devious plan, try substituting gender for education mm. in our example. I hadn't. If women work in different occupations or carry different responsibilities, these things may reduce their pay. But noticing that these are the mechanisms does not mean the pay gap doesn't exist. It just tells us how it comes about. The fact that controlling for occupation doesn't tell us anything about whether discrimination is taking place is easily illustrated through the TV show Mad Men. <laughs> in the 1960s advertising business, there were basically two distinct career paths for men and for women. Women would get secretarial roles, which were shitty and low-paid, with minimal possibility for promotion. I don't know what your goals are, but don't overdo it with the perfume. Keep a fifth of something in your desk. Mr. Draper drinks rye. Men would get executive advertising roles, where they were better paid, better treated, better regarded, and ultimately had a shot at becoming partners of the firm. Good morning, Mr. Draper. Oh, and Mr. Sterling, how are you? Morning, girls. If you've seen Mad Men, the idea that there is sexism and discrimination against women barely needs mentioning. I love it when they do that. Also, uh, alcoholism is what I learned. I was like, man, you keep forgetting that people were just perpetually drunk in the 1950s and, and driving, drinking and driving. You just be like the at the office, you show up for work in the morning. It's like hey, a couple glasses of scotch, get into your meeting, slide in with some gin and tonics. Uh, cool the night off, maybe have yourself a little margarita or something fancy, get home, a couple cervezas. Oh, and smoking a shit ton. That's right. Yeah, desk whiskey. <laughs> Anybody mind if I take off my pants? <laughs> the secret protagonist of the story, Peggy Olsen, is the first example of bucking this trend as she moves from secretarial into advertising work. She continually faces sexist remarks and resistance from men. Well, you're not the landing party we expected. Would you be able to tell him what's so special about your panties? The benefits are listed there, but basically they're more sheer, softer, and more like silk to the touch, yet still very strong. So you can pull them down over and over. <laughs> Here's the thing. Men and women work in different jobs in Mad Men, so if you were to control for occupation in a statistical analysis of Mad Men, the gender pay gap would disappear. But this would tell us nothing about the overwhelming amount of discrimination taking place. We'll establish that discrimination is taking place in the real world shortly, but the point I want you to take away for now is this. Thanks, Controlling for bad controls, like occupation, does Kill not it. prove that discrimination isn't a major factor in the gender pay gap. What I've said so far doesn't prove discrimination is a major factor either. 
Multivariate analysis is just not directly relevant to the question of discrimination, despite Peterson citing it as if it is. He also makes some very specific comments about to what degree different factors contribute to the gender pay gap that I want to address. By and large, women are too agreeable to get the pay rises they I'm, deserve. No, I'm saying that that's one component of a multivariate equation that predicts um, salary. It accounts for maybe 5% of the variance, something like that. So, surely so you, need about another 20, you need about another 18 factors, one of which is gender. And there is prejudice, there's no doubt about that, but it accounts for a much smaller proportion of the variance in the pay gap than the radical feminists claim. He seems to be drawing directly from the statistical literature here, though it's unclear exactly which study he is using. One paper I found helpful which uses this kind of approach is the 2017 review of the gender pay gap by Blow and Kahn. I have my doubts about some of their methods as they are often only as good as their assumptions, but I'm trying to address Peterson on his own terms here. In this paper, they find that occupation and industry explain about half the gender pay gap. They also find that so-called unexplained factors account for over a third of the gender pay gap. This is why I find Peterson's insistence that there are numerous factors that explain it and we can't just speak about one kind of sophistical. It actually reminds me of former UK Prime Minister Theresa May. In the National Health Service, we're putting £10 billion but extra have, into I'm it. I'm sorry, Prime Minister, but, but we have nurses going to food banks at the moment. That must be wrong. We have, and there are many complex reasons why people go to, go to food banks. According to this paper at least, factors which could easily be considered outcomes of discrimination explain the vast majority of the gender pay gap, 89% of it, according to Table 4 of the paper. You can include 18 different variables in the statistical analysis, but that doesn't mean they really matter. Peterson also spends quite a lot of time discussing psychological factors that contribute to the gender pay gap. This is understandable because he's a psychologist, so presumably he thinks these things matter. But estimates of just how much they do vary in the literature. Some studies find that they only explain 2.5% of the gender pay gap, while others find that they explain up to 28%. But even if we take the higher estimate here, finding that personality matters doesn't rule out that gender discrimination is taking place. To see this, let's use Peterson's example of agreeableness. Okay, there's a personality trait known as agreeableness. Agreeable people are compassionate and polite. And agreeable people get paid less than, than less agreeable people for the same job. Women are more agreeable than men. There is more nuance than Peterson is letting on here. As the Blow and Kahn review states, Perhaps not surprising, given labour market realities, Mueller and Plug, 2006, find, in a regression context, that men earned a premium for being disagreeable. However, this attribute was not found to be related to women's wages. Thus, the gender difference in agreeableness contributed to the gender earnings gap, both because men were considerably more disagreeable than women, but also because only men were awarded for this trait. These findings hint at a double bind for women. As in the case of negotiation, discussed below, women face potential penalties for not engaging in this behaviour. But if they do, may elicit negative or less positive responses than men. Also striking is Manning and Swaffield's 2008 finding noted above, that psychological attributes accounted for a much larger share of the gender wage gap using male than female coefficients. So women displaying certain personality traits, such as being disagreeable, may not translate into increased earnings. But when men display the exact same behaviours, they may be rewarded. All right, let's spend many hours on this. All right, the main duck, what's his name? I don't know, uh, Red Heiny Monkey? <laughs> I love it, I love it. All right, now what's his wacky neighbour duck's name? Giddy Goose? Meg, please try to formulate ideas clearly before you vocalise them. I'm not sure you're getting the show, Meg. Even if we grant that personality traits are fixed, biological and different between men and women, this doesn't tell us whether or not women face discrimination. What's important is the interaction between the traits and the environment. So basically, to change the outcomes, you need social and economic change rather than individual change. And my room is fucking spotless, Jordan, so don't even bring that shit up. He always tells people to clean their room. <laughs> Whether men and women are different is not the same question as whether or not women face discrimination. They can be linked and there are interesting questions to ask about the interactions between the two, as we've just done. But I'm not especially concerned in this video with detailing the biological differences between men and women. 
In fact, I often find that the two debates get conflated. As we're about to see, we can determine whether or not women face discrimination virtually independently of questions about nature versus nurture. One thing is for sure though, multivariate analysis of the gender pay gap has little to say about whether or not discrimination is taking place. Putting in bad controls like occupation reduce the gender pay gap precisely because they explain it. But this statistical exercise is basically neutral on the all-important question in this video. Do women face discrimination? To answer that, we'll need some better evidence. <laughs> I was like, I think so. <laughs> Peterson regularly asserts that women don't face too much discrimination in modern Western societies. We have a period with regards to how we do um, expand equality without going to such extremes. Um, I think we're doing a good job of that right now. Fairly, people, we could get to a point where people were treated fairly or more fairly. I mean, people are treated pretty fairly in Western culture already. As we've seen, one major piece of evidence he cites to support this multivariate analysis of the gender pay gap is largely irrelevant. But there are a wide range of innovative studies which give researchers more control over the environment to try and disentangle discrimination from other causes. And there are quite a few ways that gender discrimination can drive outcomes like the gender pay gap. First, women tend to be discouraged from working in the first place and encouraged to engage in unpaid care or housework. Second, women who do work are filtered into occupations which have lower pay, again often occupations that revolve around care. Third, even within a given occupation, women are subject to different expectations than men and are generally at a disadvantage for getting a raise or a promotion. What unites these three observations is that women are generally pushed more towards caring roles. Let's bake some cookies for the boys! Outside of employment, this can mean child or adult care. Inside employment, it can mean teaching, nursing and social work. This graph shows the hours per day spent in unpaid care work for women and men in the USA over time. They are both indexed relative to the average, so in 2019, women spent 32% more time in care work than average, while men spent 33% less time in care work. This disparity will only have increased during the pandemic. Remember that last section when I said that the gender pay gap is actually 40% if you don't condition on employment at all? No, me neither. But the common response to this would be that if women work less, they should naturally get paid less except that women do a lot more unpaid labor, largely inside the home, which is not remunerated by the market. Ignoring this requires a judgment that this work is not socially useful enough to warrant funding, a judgment that is rarely made explicit. I need to relax, okay? I was working all day. <laughs> and you don't think taking care of our chick is work? But in my expert opinion, making sure children and partners don't starve is good for humanity and for the economy. Helen Lewis did bring this up in Peterson's GQ interview, but his response was far from convincing. You know, I'm not a fan of the idea that the most fundamental orientation that a person is likely to have in their life is career. I don't believe that's true for most people. I certainly don't believe it's true for most women. And I think the evidence supports that claim quite straightforwardly. So, um... However, it is the only thing that you get paid for under capitalism. <laughs> right? Man, live! But that's, but that's How can you say something like that? Paid. It's so clichéd. Well, it's so painful to hear that. It may be clichéd, but it nonetheless is true, Cap right? Look, women do more, much more. It's not capitalism, well, for God's sake. It, it, it is. No, it isn't. You have to invest into a child for 18 years before they have any economic utility. Mm -hmm. It's a consequence of delayed economic utility. We don't know how to monetize it. It's not a consequence of capitalism. It's a consequence of the fact that human beings have an 18-year dependency. How do you monetize that, even in principle? Well, we don't know. It's weird we to say know. something isn't about capitalism and then talk about monetization, yeah. an obviously capitalist concept. But all Peterson is realizing is why humans need to share and cooperate with an eye to reciprocity over time. If we reward raising children and other care work, then it will result in better outcomes for everyone in the long run. And there is a well-known way to do it in modern societies. It's monetize babies. That's what he's going to say, right? Called the welfare state. Oh. This will all come up again when we discuss Scandinavia. The Biden administration has actually recognized all of this and made moves to address the gender pay gap. The arguments made echo some of the points I've made in this video. They aim to reduce occupational segregation, a key driver of the gender pay gap, which we've already detailed. 
The gender pay gap has narrowed during the coronavirus pandemic, but this has been called an artificial narrowing, which has only occurred because women have dropped out of the workforce altogether. This is exactly the point about In different caring babies. responsibilities Clever. that I've made. If you weren't aware of this, as I wasn't, it may be because your information is coming mostly from non-centrist news sources. I found this story on Ground News, a platform which tries to give you a balanced view of what people from across the political spectrum are seeing. It's no secret that our information sources have become highly filtered on the internet, and Ground News is the most straightforward way I've seen to combat this bias. I found Ground News really helpful, and now I check it almost every day. The Biden administration's policies to close the gender pay gap are surely not perfect, and I'm not trying to say that they are. But knowing that they recognize key points made in the literature about the gender pay gap, certainly more so than Jordan Peterson does, is encouraging and I'm glad that steps are being taken. I likely wouldn't have known about this just from consulting left or even right-wing news sources, because Ground News shows you that two-thirds of coverage of this story was from the center. You can sign up for Ground News for free by clicking in the link in the description. I was like, is this a... Or you can subscribe for... <laughs> this is an ad, isn't it? <laughs> Sneaky. Ooh, that was a sneaky one. At first, I was like, wow, this really sounds like an ad, but I don't know if it's an ad. I, I, oh, wow, I, I got it added. Man. Full access to their news analysis features and to support a small independent company working to help readers navigate a complex media landscape. Sponsors like this will help me to keep the channel going as I plan to start doing this full- Damn, that was smooth and learning economics. Pressure to same-sex role models increases Touché. girls' intentions and motivation to pursue STEM careers. Boys and girls initially like STEM the same, but there is a relative drop for girls over the term due to peer influences. Teachers rate the reading ability of boys and maths ability of girls to be less likely to be above average, despite the same score. It's totally an ad. I, really was, uh, I don't really like the app. My friend's into it, but I think it's some lib shit. But wouldn't it tell you that it was lib shit? Wouldn't it be like you are now using a lib shit app? So yes, Ben, girls are actually encouraged to read poems instead of doing maths by teachers, peer influences, and a lack of role models. No, I'm going to be an astronaut. Women can't be astronauts. Why not? They distract the men astronauts so they wouldn't keep their minds on the road. A study in the USA looked at how early exposure to these kinds of gender Sounds attitudes like feeds into philosophy. occupational choices in adulthood. Different states score differently on attitudes towards gender roles. As this map shows, the states colored in blue tend to have more traditional views, whereas red states tent to have more progressive or egalitarian views. Why didn't they do the colors the other way around? It's so confusing. The paper shows that women born in more progressive states, in red, are less likely to end up in care occupations. Men born in more progressive states are more likely to end up in care occupations. In other words, being exposed to a climate of progressive gender attitudes earlier in life reduces the gender gap in occupation choice, and therefore the gender pay gap. In addition, both women and men born in more progressive states are more likely to end up employed, full stop, and the effect is bigger for women. This may further reduce the gender pay gap. These early childhood influences are far from the whole picture. There's also outright discrimination in hiring. Some of the tightest studies in this area, and in my opinion, the tightest quantitative studies done in the social sciences, are those which send out fake job applications, which differ only in the gender of the applicants. Everything else, from their employment history to their education, is held constant. One of the good things about these studies is that since the applicants are constructed as identical, there are no average differences between the two groups in terms of what employers can observe. One study found that female students who wanted to continue study and apply to manage a laboratory were less likely to be hired than men and were offered a lower salary if they were hired. This graph shows the average salary offered to men, in dark grey, as being a good few thousand higher than that offered to women. This graph shows that men were also judged to be more competent, more hireable, and given more mentoring by the faculty. David Newmark's review of these types of studies found evidence for discrimination by gender. Some of these studies are genuine field experiments where the job applications are sent out to real employers and women get fewer calls back. Others are hypothetical, which allows for more detail about the candidates through detailed stories told to employers. These help to eliminate any possible confounding but unobserved variables like personality, though of course, the studies may suffer from not being real employment decisions. All of these studies come to the same conclusion. 
women are discriminated against in male-dominated jobs. These jobs also tend to be higher paid and higher status than female-dominated jobs, doctors, lawyers, scientists, financiers, etc. However, and this is an important point, it's not the case that women are discriminated against in every job. Unlike discrimination against ethnic minorities, where minority groups just have a lower chance of getting any job, patterns of gender discrimination reinforce traditional gender roles. If you're male, and my analytics suggest you may well be, you've probably had the frustrating experience of applying to hospitality or secretarial roles as a teenager and being rejected, only to see women who also have no experience be accepted. She brought in at the place, don't she? If she gets the job, so with you. If he gets it, because you're both, you're both equal. Lovely. That looks nice. Lovely blue eyes. Okay, big smile. That's lovely. Lovely, lovely. Just give that a minute. We'll have a look at that. Do one of you as well. <laughs> Good. But while the hiring practices in hospitality are undoubtedly unfair to teenage boys, and also generally to people not considered attractive, it doesn't change the fact that on net, men tend to get filtered into high-paying, high-status jobs, while women get filtered into low-paying, low-status jobs. As Peterson has acknowledged, average differences between men and women are pretty small, only apply to some personality traits, and don't apply to ability at all. The average IQ for a woman and the average IQ for a man is identical. There is some debate oh, about God. the flatness of the distribution, which Here is something that James Damore pointed out, for example, in his memo, but there's no difference at all in general cognitive ability. There's no difference to speak of in conscientiousness. Women are a bit more orderly than men, and men are a little bit more industrious than women. But the difference isn't big. You just can't explain the large biases displayed towards men and women across such a wide variety of roles by appealing to these small average differences. Peterson also mentions the extremes of these traits. Men and women are broadly similar with regards to aggression, although men tilt a little bit more towards aggression. About So that if you picked a random person out of the population, male and female, and you guessed that the male was more aggressive, you'd be right 60% of the time. But if you take the one in a hundred most aggressive people, they're all male. And that's why the overwhelming proportion of people who are in prisons are male. But that's not what we're talking about here, as many of these are just normal jobs and we still observe big IQs? disparities. We're not talking about the extremes when we send CVs to restaurants or administration jobs. Here I want to comment on something related I've seen from Peterson and others. That radical feminists or whatever don't think about the lower quality jobs predominantly done by men. And that's why the overwhelming proportion of people who are in prisons are male. Now, do you want to equalize that? Just out of curiosity? I what about bricklayers? They're 99% male. Um, yes. Gender equality, for me at least, does mean that women will do more jobs such as construction, firefighting and manual labour. Class equality, of course, means that the jobs themselves will improve substantially and the burden be shared more equally, but that's another issue. And don't even get me started on prisons. Anyway, so far we've looked at how women are more likely to do unpaid care work and are also more likely to work in more caring but lower paid occupations. What remains is to look at how men and women are treated in similar jobs. One of the most interesting findings is that women are more likely to be asked to engage in less- That's such a, like, uh, a weirdly, like, that's a really bad faith way to phrase that question, you know? It's like, well, do you want more women represented in prison? Because if the answer is yes, you just want more women to be jailed. And shame on you, bad person. Promotable tasks. So Men will make the presentation, lead quality. the team, attend the conference in Vienna, all the things that will get noticed and get them promoted. Women will be expected to take minutes, make tea, make sure the team is ticking along behind the scenes, all the things that no one notices and which get taken for granted. You know, care. Ugh, God damn it. I don't get paid enough for this shit. There's a craftsman nearby. I can smell it. Whoa, what? what? How, how did we fall asleep during interdimensional cable? Yeah, what the hell, Summer? Summer, you dumb bitch. How long were we out, How much you of interdimensional bitch? cable did we miss, Summer, you stupid bitch? Why did you let us summer? fall asleep, stupid you dumb bitch. bitch? This study found that in a US university... Okay, so uh, your research is impeccable. I'm learning uh, economics. My only uh, critique so far is your audio levels. Uh, all over the place. Like, some of the clips are so quiet, and then all of a sudden you come back, and you're like, and I'm always like, oh, should I turn it up? But then, like, when I do that, as soon as you come back, I know it's going to be like everyone's ears are going to explode. Women were more likely than men to volunteer to be on a committee. 
This committee was not regarded as a role which would further your career, yet women disproportionately populate such committees. Women account for over a third of members, despite being only a quarter of academics at the university. I think he keeps things exciting. Across five different experiments, women were found to be more likely to cooperate than men, making a move which helped the group at their individual expense. This was not explained by differences in preferences, such as greater altruism among women. It was not explained by the agreeableness trait often mentioned by Peterson. Wait, women more often cooperative than men? But I heard that women are all conniving and backstabbing, and that they're prone to groupthink, and that they sink up their moon's blood. Is that is that not all true as well? Have I been lied to? A separate study found that women were actively punished via lower performance evaluations for not displaying this kind of altruistic behaviour, whereas men were not. One final thing that women have to deal with much more than men is sexual harassment. A study in Sweden found that around 12% of women reported experiencing sexual harassment in their workplaces in the past year. This can take the form of unwanted sexual attention or derogatory comments about your gender. The Plus corresponding figure for lipstick. men is around 4%, three it's times lipstick. lower. Most importantly, and in line with the theme of men and women ending up in different occupations, women are more likely to experience sexual harassment in higher-paid, male-dominated workplaces. This confusing-looking but actually quite simple graph shows the share of people who were sexually harassed in the past year on the y-axis. It has the share of men in the workplace on the x-axis. Data points for female workers are clear circles, while those for male workers are black triangles. You can see by the line fitted along the circles that sexual harassment is more likely for women the more men are in the workplace. The line fitted along the triangle shows the opposite. Sexual harassment is less likely for men the more men there are in the workplace. In fact, with a high enough proportion of women, or low enough proportion of men, men are actually more likely to be harassed than women. Sexual harassment can affect anyone, but it disproportionately affects women. The study also shows that women who have experienced sexual harassment are more likely to leave the high-paying, male-dominated occupations to go to low-paying, female-dominated occupations. This is a huge source of discrimination driving women away from higher-paying occupations. If you believe the calculations in the study, sexual harassment alone explains 10% of the gender wage gap. People wow. are treated pretty fairly in Western culture already. No. If I had to summarize the admittedly vast array of evidence we've just looked at, and I suppose I do have to summarize it because I'm the one making the video, I would say that women and men are continually exposed to norms and outright discrimination which push them into different occupations and roles in society. Women tend to be encouraged to do care work, both paid and unpaid, while men will- I mean, I can tell you uh, as an anecdote, Andy, my partner, uh, has uh you know said multiple times that it would be nice in the field of architecture if there were more uh women ceos because it's such a boys club it's like completely dominated by dudes and it's hard to want to work within a space in which it is you know all the power and all the all the higher ups and all the ceos or partners of the firms are all controlled predominantly by men uh and you know, maybe I should just leave this firm and go to one that uh, is more uh, controlled and more diverse, you know, isn't uh, dominated by white old men kind of thing. Uh, and that would play into that stat, even though it's an anecdote, but that would play directly to the thing where it's like, well, you're just going to have more people want to gravitate towards environments in which they feel safer. Tend to be discouraged from these roles and encouraged into better paid ones. Women are less likely to work and therefore earn money in the first place, partly due to- Am I a conservative? Uh, I'm an Anne Prim. I want to return to monkey to a strong expectation that they will perform unpaid labor in the household. Women face a lower likelihood of getting hired in high-paying, high-status jobs. If they get these jobs, they will still not be treated equally, as they are expected to help others and the group over themselves, whereas men are not. In many cases, women will experience outright harassment, which will just cause them to give up on being in male-dominated spaces. These dynamics probably affect us all negatively, men and women alike, because they inhibit human flourishing and freedom. 
but the brunt of it falls on women, who have less access to resources, less recognition, and have to endure discrimination and harassment of various kinds. When he's not being wrong about multivariate analysis of the gender pay gap, or getting upset about pictures of attractive women, Jordan Peterson likes to reference Scandinavia as an example of how smash. pursuing gender equality yeah. leads to magnified differences between men and women. Not, the biggest differences between men and women in the world in terms of temperament and interest are in Scandinavia, and they've maximized as a consequence of your egalitarian policies. What, what do you mean by that? It means that the more egalitarian your state, the bigger the personality differences between men and women. I know everyone's shocked when they hear this. This isn't shocking news. People have known this in the scientific <laughs> community for at least 25 years. And it's been replicated in the last month three times in three separate samples, including in Science, which is the world's greatest scientific magazine by a large margin. And it isn't a small effect, it's a huge effect. In an article written on the topic, he references a few studies to support his conclusion. So let's take a look at these, shall we? We'll start with the most famous study, the gender equality paradox, which has over 600 citations. All right, so let's take a look at this gender equality paper. Oh, what's this? Hmm. Corrigendum. I saw this video. It's a great video. I ah, really completely agree with you. I don't know what that word means, so to be far. honest. Nobody knows what that word means. Let's scroll past this. There's, Most unlearning economic paper. videos are. As Peterson claimed, this paper finds that gender equality is correlated with a lower propensity for women to pursue careers in STEM science, technology, engineering, oh, and I mathematics. I hear this all the time. According to the paper, Peterson says this women all the time, too, because you usually bring this up. In, uh, he'll use like Scandinavia as an example. He'll be like, well, if you look to Scandinavia and then we correct for a lot of things like sexism, gender discrimination, and we can certainly argue that that doesn't exist in Scandinavian countries. But anyway, is, I digress. Um, it seems like more women will gravitate organically towards fields like STEM. Perfectly capable of pursuing STEM careers, as judged by school test scores, but they don't want to. The number of women in STEM is much lower than the number of women who could be successful in STEM. The introduction of the paper closely follows Peterson's interpretation. We found that countries with high levels of gender equality have some of the largest STEM gaps in secondary and tertiary education. We call this the educational gender equality paradox. For example, Finland excels in gender equality. Its adolescent girls outperform boys in science literacy, and it ranks second in European educational performance. With these high levels of educational performance and overall gender equality, Finland is poised to close the STEM gender gap. Yet, paradoxically, Finland has one of the world's largest gender gaps in college degrees in STEM fields, and Norway and Sweden, also leading in gender equality rankings, are not far behind. Peterson is representing the study accurately. But what bothers me is that the paper consists mostly of a bunch of correlations across countries. The main correlation is here. On the x-axis, we have female participation in STEM, while on the y-axis, we have the Global Gender Gap Index, or GGGI, a measure of gender equality. Each red dot is a country, and the downward-sloping blue line is the negative correlation between the two measures. The more women in STEM, the worse the state of gender equality. I want to communicate Tom Nicholas, something to you. that's his name. Cross-country correlations are among the weakest of statistical findings out there. First, there's the issue of small sample size. There are only 62 countries on this graph. With such a small sample size, adding another 20 countries which fell in the top right corner could eliminate the correlation entirely. The second issue is that there are huge differences between countries based on their culture, economies, and history that are left out of such simple comparisons. These are confounding variables of the type we discussed earlier in the context of the gender pay gap. Oftentimes you will find that controlling for obvious confounders like population in a Tom Nicholas makes excellent videos. He does. The exception being I was kind of confused with the Jake Paul one. Because that came after the fact that everyone knows that Jake Paul is a monster. Like, beyond the sexual assault allegations, the guy is frequently uh, doing these kind of NFT scams, crypto scams, all this kind of shit. Like, he shouldn't ever be revered as kind of like a uh, uh, an arc of a boxer-style story or GDP eliminates cross-country correlations entirely. Thirdly, 
Correlation doesn't imply causation. Okay, thanks. Wait, did you know that there's a direct correlation between the decline of Spirograph and the rise in gang activity? Think about it. I will. No, you won't. You can get much stronger correlations between female participation in STEM and irrelevant measures, like bachelor's degrees awarded to women in STEM versus online revenue on Black Friday, an extremely tight correlation, or PhDs awarded to women in science and engineering versus money spent on admissions to spectator sports. But don't believe me on this. Just listen to Jordan Peterson. After all, another way of describing a correlation is univariate analysis. Like if you're a social scientist, worth, worth your salt, you never do a univariate analysis. Hmm. Finally, there's the issue of measures. Countries measure things like what counts as STEM participation very differently, so you might be comparing apples and oranges. Some countries consider health services as part of STEM, while others consider them separate. Women are overrepresented in health, so this may skew the results. If you don't have a consistent way of categorizing STEM versus not STEM across countries, your results are simply unreliable. I could spend a whole video on how indexes like the Global Gender Gap Index can be poor for making broad inferences of the type made by Peterson. The GGGI summarizes several measures in a country. Economic participation and opportunity, educational attainment, health and survival, political empowerment. Because these indexes aggregate over so many different things, a change in the GGGI doesn't tell us what actually happened and may mask conflicting forces within a country. To take an extreme example, women could get the vote but simultaneously get banned from employment in certain industries, and the index might not change much overall. The GGGI also misses important things like cultural expectations placed on women. As one article put it, while it may be good at identifying the countries where a woman can win an election, it's bad at identifying the ones where she'll be welcome in a physics department. Sarah Richardson and her colleagues actually correlated a different index of gender equality with the percentage of STEM degrees awarded to women and found no correlation whatsoever. Huh, that's curious. Maybe it has something to do with that corrigendum business. Alright, so let's just figure out what this word means. Corrigendum. Corrigendum. A thing to be corrected, typically an error in a printed book. Oh. Well, it turns out that the original gender equality paradox study came under some sustained criticism from Richardson and others. This resulted in a debate published in the journal which included this graph, as well as a correction by the original authors. Stowett and Geary said they'd used one measure of STEM participation, but they'd actually used another, so they had mm. to clarify that as well as a few other things. I don't want to mislead you here. A corrigendum is not the same thing as a retraction. It just means that the original paper had poor explanations of some contestable choices. These have since been clarified, if not necessarily justified. But this all speaks to the question of how robust the finding is, and what we can infer from it. Now I could just stop here. Small sample sizes, omitted variables, contestable measures, and correlation doesn't equal causation are enough to go on. But I want to hammer home exactly how unjustified Peterson is in the inferences he draws from this paper, because it's such a widely cited finding, and it's interesting to unpack exactly how it could be wrong. For this, I'm going to ignore most of the issues I've just raised and assume that the key correlation we're seeing in this graph is in fact there. It still doesn't prove anything. There's an issue in statistics known as the ecological fallacy. This states that we can't draw inferences about individuals from results which are at a higher level of aggregation. The classic example is a researcher who saw that suicide rates in Protestant counties in the USA were higher than those in Catholic counties and concluded that Protestantism was associated with suicide. But it turned out that when you looked at individuals... He goes like, why are you watching all this graphs and statistics? Take me outside. People dying by suicide in the Protestant counties were not actually the Protestants themselves. Just because there was a higher average suicide rate in combination with a higher number of Protestants, it doesn't mean one was driving the other. Another example is smoking and life expectancy. When you correlate the two across countries, you find that more smoking is associated with higher life expectancy. But we know that smoking is bad for an individual's health. 
In this case, there seems to be a confounding- But do we? Do we? So you've just been listening to an episode of The Surf Times, and if you enjoy it and want to see The Surf Times, you can go to wearesurfs.com or watch the live shows at thesurfs.tv. And also everywhere social media is sold, basically thesurfs.tv, you'll find us there, twitter.com slash thesurfstv, for example. It would also help us out tremendously if you could leave a good review of this podcast if you enjoyed it, either on, I don't know, iTunes or wherever you're podcasting. Apparently it does help, and yeah, we hope to see you soon. To our gods, Xander Corvus and Peyton L. Just, we are prepared to conduct many a human sacrifices in your honor. To our monarch, Tom Spiker, we are but your humble yet incompetent gestures, trying in vain to bring some levity into your life. To our lord, Trevor R., we give you thanks for this meager plot of land for us to toil away our pathetic existence. To our brave knights, Carl Wauer, Tony, DM Rivera, Resident Scarecrow, Sir Nickus, Mayred, Cheryl Alvarez, Ruben Kelly, Brandon, Words Greenwood, Nate, Hegbird Celine, Matthew Scarborough, Stellar Vision, Ariane McCarthy, Daniel Sutton, Coulter Smith, Jenna Tal, Quiet185, Anna Loves Riley, Omni, Riley and Anna, Poodlehawk, The Tim Caucus, Multimondi, Trevor Janis, Lemmy101, Anthropophojack, Saren42, Catherine, Ramon Acosta, Incosin, Agent NDN, Violent Orchard, Political Puppy, Andreas Chiringuito, Zach Christensen, Todd Buckingham, and Todd Lajeunesse. We salute our mighty heroes off to conquest some bread in some far off land.